Hi, my name is David Levy. I am from Santa Barbara, California, and I speak six languages. That's David, Civic Engagement and Partnerships Manager in San Francisco. This week, we're diving deep into David's story on humans of Manerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Jules, and today I'll be sitting down with David from the Student Life Team. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. So, yeah, maybe first for people who are not too familiar with your position, what does it mean to be civic engagement and partnerships manager? So, at Minerva, since we like to say that the city is our campus, these students are both encouraged and hopefully they arrive really excited to be participating in city life, to be working with organizations, to be meeting people, to be getting engaged with local communities. And so Minerva tries to like encourage us actively through its curriculum. And one of the ways that they do this, the most important way that they do this, I believe, in the first year is through the civic projects where groups of students are placed on teams and then they work with a local organization on a big challenge question. And so in order to make sure that the organizations that we partner with are properly aligned with our mission, that they are prepared to work with our students on their projects, this requires partnership management. Mm -hmm. There is also a, a variety of other types of partnerships that we try to cultivate, whether this be for, say, students to potentially volunteer or do internships. Maybe some of these partnerships lead to city experiences. At this point, the city is getting back from the pandemic time, and so we are having to rebuild a lot of our partnerships. It's an exciting time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, we're currently, um, I think, in a week after Concordia break. What is something like that you maybe got to do during the break that you don't get to do during busy Minerva weeks, I guess? So during busy Minerva weeks, I don't get the chance to like really cook elaborate dishes. And so during the break, I even though it was quite busy because we were having to prepare for a symposium, we as a team took two days off on Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so I took the chance to make a flourless chocolate cake, which is like a recipe that was once written on the bathroom wall in France. Um, and it's now like, it's like sort of this famous thing. It's very good. And I also made a bunch of like different Mexican dishes. So like every, like the beans and the rice was like the proper seasoning and the and then enchiladas and like some other types of like Mexican foods. And so that was really nice. Okay, so is that kind of like your heritage, I guess, from home? Because I know you grew up in an immigrant household, you said? Yes, so my parents are both from Mexico, and they actually studied in the U.S. together. Um, my dad was doing his Ph.D. at the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, and then my mom, after they got married, she went and did like her undergrad there. And then they moved back to Mexico, but then the Mexican economy like collapsed. My dad was like looking to move somewhere else, and he almost got a job with Ford in Detroit. But then his advisor <laughs> called him, he had moved to like Santa Barbara in California. He was like, no, 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 don't go to Detroit. Like come, like try out this university. So they didn't want to go to Detroit. And so my dad ended up going to Santa Barbara and he thought he was only going to be there for like a year or two. But then they had me, I'm the youngest of three siblings. Okay. And my dad liked his job. So they just kind of just stayed and stayed. And that's how I grew up there. Nice. So what was growing up like in California? Like it was really relaxed, you know, like Santa Barbara is a small beach town and it's like the most, like the nicest boring place in the world. You know, like, like there's the beach and the mountains and every, there's no seasons and every day is like kind of the same. And it's just like beautiful. Like it's always blue skies. When I was a kid, my favorite weather was cloudy. 
because it was different. And I was like, it's <laughs> so fun. I was like, wow. It was like, like this weather that we have right here in San Francisco right now, like this is very unusual for Santa Barbara. But it was like a very small town life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Favorite childhood memory? A lot of my favorite memories actually involved me going back to Mexico. So we'd go in the summers, and it was always really exciting because I'd get to meet my cousins. My parents' hometown is this kind of industrial city called Monterrey in the northeast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because it's in a lot of ways the exact opposite of Santa Barbara. You know, it's super hot and, and, and it's very urban, especially where my family lived. It's very, very urban. And so the lifestyle was totally different. But just like being around all my different cousins and having like all like, oh, this is your uncle so-and-so from over here that you've never met before. And like, oh, this are going to go over to this place, like have dinner with these people. And that was really fun. Yeah, and so are you still in touch with your family from Mexico? Are you still meeting them? There's a few cousins in particular who I keep in touch with more. And then otherwise, there's the group chats that are, <laughs> I had to mute. <laughs> but, but I check in with them, like, and yeah. So you mentioned you suddenly were in Germany. So like, how did that happen? So the thing is, like, with Germany, it was kind of funny that my father's father's father, my great-grandfather, was a German Jew who lived in the area of like Stuttgart. Before that, the family had lived in Lorraine, but he was there in Stuttgart. He was kind of the black sheep of the family or something. And he immigrated out and made it to the US, but then some uncles said like, oh, you should go to Mexico. So he like went to Mexico. And this was in around 1912 or something. It was a revolution time in Mexico. He met a Mexican girl and married her. And then World War I came out and the Mexican government confiscated all the property of, of Germans that were in the country. Mm. And so he was struggling a lot. It was a very difficult time. They had a child, but unfortunately he passed away when my grandfather was just a year old. And my grandfather had some kind of contact with his German family, but it kind of ended. And then especially when the war happened, it was over. And so uh, my dad sort of knew about this German Jewish branch of our family, but he didn't really know anything. And I remember asking him about it because, you know, when I grew up, my parents, they named me David Levy because they wanted a name David that was spelled the same way in English and in Spanish. And they didn't realize that David Levy is the most Jewish name in the whole world. And so like, I'd be asked, oh, are you Jewish? And like, I didn't know what to say. But then he began to get really into genealogy and he started exploring the family tree and it happened as just a crazy coincidence that his job as a university professor gave him a fellowship in an institute in Stuttgart that was doing research in his area and so then we got the chance to be able to go and when we went there it wasn't just like oh this you're up like a vacation place there were graves of my ancestors right mm -hmm. and there was like an uncle a guy who was really related to me, who was a German. He had left in the 30s. He had fought against the Japanese in the war and then went back to Germany. His house was still standing, so they gave it back to him and he just lived there. And he, he actually lived until only just a few years ago, Uncle Oscar, right? And he was there and it made it like very sort of real for me, like that this is a part of me. And between the ages of 11 and 17, his fellowship lasted. And so we would go for a few months every year to be in Germany. It was like a really, really wonderful part of my childhood. And that started getting me to study German as a language and feel connected to the place. Yeah, I mean, me being from Germany, I kind of can relate, I guess. So that makes Spanish, I guess, English and 
So Spanish and English were my first languages. My parents raised me speaking Spanish at home. And I learned English when I started going to preschool. And then German came about after that. And then I started studying Russian in college as just a language. But then I had to drop it because I wanted to study abroad in Russia. But they told me that, oh, you can't do the amount of Russian study that you need and be able to go and have enough credits that you need to take your other classes so that you can graduate. But if you go to China, then you can take some Chinese classes there and do some classes related to your major, and then you'll be able to graduate. And so I kind of just like randomly like dropped Russian study for a while in favor of Chinese. <laughs> and I went to China and I studied abroad there and I learned the language. And then I lived in a factory for a month and a half after graduating. And they had like a worker strike when I was there. That was really funny. You lived uh, in a factory? Yeah. yeah. Like, like in, in a like stock room. <laughs> I, like it, 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 it was very cool. It was very beautiful, but like I was helping them negotiate business deals with different people. And so like they were, they sold automotive parts. I remember we went and they sent me to like a trade show in Guangzhou. They sent me like some random parts and like, with reservation and nothing else. And it was like the weirdest time on the train. They didn't get the ticket fast enough. And so I had to be on the, this hard seat train that took 25 hours to go from Ningbo to, to Guangzhou. And by like hour 14, I was praying for death, but it was still fun. And so like that kind of thing can teach you some Chinese for sure. And then my language skills were kind of there for a while, but then in grad school, I was studying how governments regulate religious groups. Mm. And I wanted to work in DC at that time. And it was a time when the US was very focused on the Islamic world as a policy. And so they were like, well, if you're going to study this type of area and you want to like work for the state department or something, you need to focus on Islam. And so I did, I, I focused on Islam in terms of choosing a region. I had a little bit of Russian. I had no Arabic and I didn't really want to try to get Arabic, you know, like I, I learned some theological terms. Yes. But like, I knew there was no way I was going to be able to really compete in that area. And so I thought, well, Central Asia is more interesting also for me. It's people were really studying it in the U S at the time. And so I did like a Russian language program in Almaty in Kazakhstan, a summer one. And I did like some research there for my master's and it made me sort of feel like, oh, I, I really like this place. Like I'd love to spend some time there. And much later on when I got the opportunity, then I took it. And so I was there and I took also the chance to learn some Kazakh too as well. Cause in Kazakhstan, the language politics are very interesting and Kazakh yeah. people really like it when you can speak their language you get a completely different view of people when you do that. So. Okay, well, so interesting. And you're mm -hmm. like happy with that in the end. Yeah, you know, the only thing I sort of think about looking back is just that you gain an understanding of how many opportunities there really are over time and how you can exploit them by sort of being really proactive. So like at the time I was studying and I was sort of like, we're like, okay, there's grad school or okay, like this sort of place called DC exists or something like that. But I didn't really think about what those things meant, you know, mm -hmm. like I didn't think about what it means to actually be applying for jobs or like looking for opportunities or trying to like meet people and how, when you do that, you actually do get really exciting things coming your way or even just like having the courage, to just drop everything and go to a new country or something like that. That's what sets things in motion and creates these moments of serendipity. Yeah. And I think there's a book called serendipity. Someone yeah. Have you read it? 
yeah, we were holding an event here and one of our civic partners and made like the same point about this book that statistically speaking, I'm shamelessly stealing from him. Statistically speaking, <laughs> you're more likely to encounter these moments of serendipity just by going out of your house. Like the more you go out of your house, the more you go out, then the more you like encounter. And so for me, being someone who was like reading all the time in my house, <laughs> yeah, like, but, but had been forced to go out at some point, like there was that journey of progression that was like, oh, actually I like going out. And I like letting these serendipitous moments find me. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know the weirdest places, right? No factory in China. Like. Yeah, that was, oh gosh. So after I graduated from my master's and I couldn't find a job in DC that wasn't an unpaid internship. And, mm-hmm. and I decided like to go back to California and sort of figure things out. But actually in hindsight, I can say like, this was not the right move because there's nothing for my area in, well, at least at that time in California, especially in my hometown, right? Yeah. And so I was sitting there and I was feeling like sort of sorry for myself. Like, what should I do? I think like at one point I applied for like a job at Trader Joe's and they didn't give it to me. Oh. And then I got a call from a friend of mine from Harvard who was Chinese and who I had met and who said, I'm starting up a mining consulting company in China. And, you know, this was like a time when the Chinese government was no longer supporting its mining companies when they failed in international projects. Like before, if they did that, like fine, we'd cover your costs, right? But after that, it was like 2015, they're like, you know. And so suddenly like there was a space for like a consulting company to come in with these mining bosses, like help them sort of understand how to conduct an internationalization strategy. And I knew nothing about mining, I knew nothing about business. I mean, now you probably do. A little bit, yeah. Like, and so it's, but I definitely like, it was a trial by fire when I learned, like I went there and we were thrown into like these projects and I remember like my boss was like, oh, can you prepare like a three-year business plan for like this idea? And I had no idea what to do at all. Like I was like Googling, like how to make a business plan. I was like, how do I do this? <laughs> and so we had some really cool successes and we ended up co-organizing a major mining conference there. That was like an international mining conference. But like, I, I didn't really like the mining industry very much for a variety of reasons. I was also very frustrated that it was taking me so long to do everything. In my hometown, there was a master of technology management program, a one-year program that seemed to be teaching all those things I needed to learn. And so then I went for that. But then while I was doing that, I got another call from another friend who told me that there was a private school in Kazakhstan where the shareholders were feeling very disturbed about the direction the school was going. They had partnered with a British fancy private school to create this new branch of the school, two branches in Kazakhstan, but they wanted to create a change of direction. And so my friend recommended me as someone that could help and they brought me in. They didn't, it was really funny, like, cause I arrived there and they hadn't shown anybody my resume. Like, I didn't go like get hired through the normal way. They didn't tell yeah. like, anybody I was coming. And so you can imagine all these British teachers confronting this American guy with a very vague job title. It was like director of US admissions that they gave me. And, uh, and like brought in by the shareholders, right? Where people like they normally barely ever saw. And then the, like about all these kids, like, oh, things are changing. And so it was really like, yeah, no one wanted to talk to me for the first like six months. But what I noticed about like education that was, that's great is when you care about kids and like when you go and try to work with them, like teachers respect that and they recognize that like no matter who you are. And, and one thing I can say about that school is like teachers were very professional. Yeah. And so I got into education when I was there 
And the next sort of five years of me being in Kazakhstan were kind of this experiment of me sort of saying like, well, how can international partnerships, which is something that I've grown increasingly interested in, like help education. And I ended up leaving the school after a while and starting a nonprofit with some local partners. And then we, we did some different projects, you know, to bring in some international influences into the country. But about a year ago, or a bit now, no more than a year ago now, before I came to Minerva. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. So there was a situation in the country. Well, I got engaged, first of all, which is super nice. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> but then like, and also sort of thinking about the future, I had a lot of different projects lined up. And it seemed like after the pandemic, things were finally starting to turn around. But then there was a failed coup in the country. There was a riots and like all these issues that, that happened. So some of the people who were in government, but like the finance, who were going to finance some of these projects, like suddenly pulled out and I had to cancel like everything. And it really made me sort of see, it was very, it was extremely frustrating. Yeah. And so I was like thinking, well, maybe this isn't like the best environment to be in right now, or what should I do? And one thing that had sort of like occurred to me and I saw was that like, you know, all of my business partners were constantly like wanting to build their U.S. partnerships. And I didn't really have U.S. experience. And so I thought like, well, maybe this is a good time, like personally and professionally, it's a good time to come back to the U.S. and start to build up some of this experience, working with like both partnerships and education. And that's how I found Minerva and then this job, and it was just great. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's nice. So like, did you just literally like just apply? You know, it's sort of funny, like I kind of known about Minerva before, but I was actually trying to negotiate a separate deal. Like there were some investors in Kazakhstan that I knew and they sort of like were interested in Minerva. And so I found this partnerships guy in the UK for Minerva projects. And I reached out to him and, and I wanted to connect him with these people. And we were talking and I just wanted him to me sort of, you know, like I was like trying to like like just sort of establish my connections. And I was like, oh, you know, Minerva sounds like a really cool place. Like, I think I, I like saw a job there the other day that I'd like to work there, right? He was like, oh, what job? I was like, oh, well. And I, I pulled up like the thing and I saw like, oh, civic engagement partnerships manager. And I was like, oh, this actually looks really interesting. And he was like, if you are interested in that job, let me know. And like, I'll put in a word for you. Whether he did or not, I don't know. But I mean, I got an interview. And so like, yeah, so it was actually very lucky just that I was talking to a really nice guy who decided to help me in that way. And that's actually something that I found at Minerva working here that like the staff have been super supportive. It's a great team. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that, you know, we as students, we don't see that as much, how the staff works together. Because I imagine that to be very difficult. You just like kind of working in different places, like working remotely, like not seeing each other that much. But I believe it must be... Yeah, I mean, that, that is a thing. Like, our dynamic would definitely be different if we all came to the office every day and had to work every day. But I think it's just because, like, everyone's really nice. We do all see each other as being on the same team. So in that sense, it's not like, oh, if I do like a civic project with this person, I'm not going to let them do the city experience, right? Yeah. It's like, we're all helping each other, and so. Which is kind of cool. Also, across countries, probably, like, across the borders of, like, you know, I'm probably also across the locations.
what is you kind of your vision for yourself, lady? Like, not not where you see whatever, but like, where do you want to go yourself? This is like. So for me, it's really interesting to now like confront this future of myself being a family man, right? And sort of being like, oh, I'm gonna be married and have children and relate to the world in that way. That's fun, <laughs> nerve nerve-wracking a little bit, but fun. <laughs> and then I guess like sort of professionally too. In that sense, it becomes more of like, what's the kind of professional life I can have, where like I can model healthiness to others. So like in the sense of being, for example, a husband or a partner, right? Am I coming home from work with the ability of having new thoughts and feeling excited and wanting to continue growing, you know, um, to any future children that I might have? Am I showing that model of growing and wanting to learn new things and discover new things and not just be dead inside, <laughs> you know, I guess. Like that's sort of a change in me that I've was like, for me, like before it was, oh, I don't want to be dead inside because I want to have more fun. And I like learning things, like doing things. But now it's like, oh, like I actually can take all this responsibility to like have that affect other people, like my family in a, yeah. in a broader way. Hopefully my future vision and my future self includes that vision. Yeah, that was beautiful. Okay, I think it's time to move on to our Fast fire round of questions. What's your favorite Vanilla Rotation City so far? Who? I would say it is Seoul. Okay, cool. Well, that's that's good to know. Because like, I yeah. think it's Seoul next to Seoul. Um, not that Seoul, Berlin. I mean, I love Germany, right? Uh, but, you know, I was in South Germany. <laughs> so different. totally different vibes. <laughs> and, no. and I was only in Berlin for like a short time. I mean, it's very nice. But like, I, I didn't really get a chance to really feel the city, you know? Except there was one time, like it was, I celebrated my 18th birthday in Berlin and I really, really wanted Indian food. Cause I've been in Germany for a while. Okay. Like I, you know, like Huxin is like <laughs> not every day. And so like, so like the hotel was like, oh, if you walk in this direction, you'll find like an Indian place, but they didn't tell us how far it was. And so my parents like walked for like two hours down this road and like an increasingly sketchy place, right? I mean, not Francisco sketchy, but an increasingly sketchy place. Yeah. To, and then finally found it and it was magical. Super delicious Indian food. It was great. Mm -hmm. uh, London, I have had very happy memories there too. But with Korea, I was there for five weeks cra crashing on the couch of a, a very good friend of mine. And Seoul is just great. Seoul's a great place because Korea, you know, like the working culture is quite difficult. People work very hard. And so like, a lot of society is set up towards like providing relaxation, like or good food or like some entertainment for people to like unwind. And so like, if you're there and you don't have a job, it's like awesome. <laughs> it's like a great place to be, you know, there's like all these cool places to eat. There's like all this street food. You can go like and see like these cool like tourism sites. Like you can go like and get like all these like health treatments and everything like that. And so, yeah. Okay. That's great. Mm -hmm. Fast fire runoff question. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. Okay, my next question would be, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky. I read it when I was 20. I always, I, I really don't like answering favorite questions. And so like at some point I just said like, this is my favorite book and I'm just going to say it every time. But it was a really important book for me because I read it when I was an AC 20 year old. In the book, the floor philosophy thing is like, the beautiful thing about humanity and the thing that separates humanity from everything else is our ability to be spiteful. 
like in the sense that like the stars follow the laws of physics, animals follow laws of biology and like the way they do things to each other. Everything works as it should. And for humans, we constantly encounter these choices where like, oh, there's like a right choice and a wrong choice. And humans are special in the sort of philosophy way in that we can know what the right choice is and decide to do something else. And so like for me, again, as an AC 20 year old, I was like, oh, I can stand up to the universe and be like, oh, no, screw you, you know, like that. That was a really cool thought. And like for me too, it, it influenced like the way I think about things a lot, that book. Okay, nice. Uh, if you could broadcast one message to Manawa students, what would that be? That so many mistakes can be forgiven. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Yes. <laughs> and lastly, what is your word of the day? Eloquence, something which I am lacking. Yes, okay. so sort of an eloquent word, I think. Great, yeah, let's wrap this episode. And what's the best way for all the audience to reach you if they want to connect, have follow-up questions to your like, amazing experiences? So yes, please email me, david at minerva.edu. Like, I can't believe um, that that email address is not taken. Yeah. I was surprised too. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofanerva.podcast for all the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Ang Lilian, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.